Welcome to Sports with Sam and Steve on WFNM 89.1 Lancaster. I'm joined today once again by my co-host Stephen Thylen Nussbaum. Today's a very exciting day. Later on in the show, we got Ian Rappaport coming on, talk to us about a little bit of some NFL news. Uh, Steve, starting off, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Very, very excited for today's show. Me too. I, I am pumped. Like, this is... I know that we said this last week, but this is still one of the coolest things that we've that I've ever had the opportunity to do. I don't know about you, Steve, but I'm so excited. Absolutely. One of the coolest things I've ever done as well. This is going to be fantastic. <clears throat> that being said, until Ian does join us, uh, let's start off with some MLB news. The biggest news to come out of the MLB this week was that Rob Manfred will not punish Justin Turner for his actions after Game 7 of the World Series, or Game 6? Game six of the World Series, so game six of the World Series, when he had tested positive for COVID-19 while he was playing in the game and they took him out and took him to a doctor's office because the results weren't coming back. But until then, like until until the time that he got his positive test, he was in the game. Then afterwards, he was supposed to go and isolate, but he came back onto the field, celebrated with his with his teammates, did the whole celebration thing, didn't social distance. Probably gave a bunch of his teammates the the virus. Really bad look for the Dodgers and for Justin Turner. I believe he's going into a contract year too, so that's really bad. But this was just a mess. An absolute mess. Yeah, I mean, from the commissioner's perspective, I think that, first of all, many of the Dodgers players have been tested for COVID since that day. All have come back negative. Somehow the virus did not spread to the extent that we thought that it would. So from the commissioner's perspective, this is sort of a no harm, no foul kind of situation. On one hand, Justin Turner should have went and isolated and not come back out on the field to celebrate with his teammates. But at the same time, the MLB is just as responsible for not making sure that their players do what they're supposed to do. Despite the fact that's, you know, game six of the World Series and he comes out to celebrate with his teammates, it's 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 a failure on all ends here and to single out Justin Turner for that for that situation when like I said no harm no foul it would just be another bad look for MLB's office because now with no punishment being handed down it's almost a let bygones be bygones situation nobody's going to be talking about it except for us of course I mean yeah we we're going to be talking about it obviously but at the same time we have to Think about here the the health of the players, all of that stuff. It was the end of the season, and for two months there, the MLB was looking like it was the model to follow. It looked like we were gonna, like every other sport would would give their process the same kind of look. And for a while there, don't get me wrong, it worked. It did. But now, I know just the other week we were on this show talking about how the NFL needs to copy the MLB and their protocols for COVID, and then. Then this happens at, at the end of the World Series. Literally the day after we, we aired, it happened, if you yeah. if you remember. Like, we were, we were praising the MLB for weeks because they weren't having any positive tests. They put protocols in place to make sure that the players didn't come in contact with the virus, and it was working. But get to the World Series where there are fans in the stands. There's not really a bubble system in the World Series because the, the teams were staying in hotels with people outside of their organizations. There were people in the stands, all of that. So they kind of let all of their hard work go away in the end. Because 
no matter what with compliance officers and all of that, if you have teams staying in the same hotels as fans, there's going to be interaction. And more than likely in this, in this landscape that we're in right now, that was going to happen. So it just seems to me that they let their hard work go to waste in the end. I think you're 100% right. It was just a total failure on, on all ends. And one thing I forgot to mention just a minute ago is not only is it Justin Turner's fault, of course, for making the decisions he made, MLB office's fault for not securing him in a manner that they should have, but it's also the Dodgers' fault as well because his teammates were trying to convince him to come back on on the fields, telling him things like, oh, we've been with you for in close quarters for so many weeks now. It, we probably have it anyways. It's just a very emotional time where you're not considering risk. You're not considering the future. They want to celebrate together. And they were able to convince him to come back out on that field. Yeah. And it's just a total failure. And like you said, all that effort kind of went to waste. Yeah, it, it, it definitely didn't seem so good. And, and it really is a bad look for the MLB going forward. Moving on, so Steve Cohen's sale, as we said last week, of uh, buying the Mets was approved by the MLB ownership committee, then all of the owners, then they finally closed the deal on Friday of last week, and then literally like an hour after the deal was announced that it was closed, uh, the Mets fired Brody Van Wagenen and office executives Omar Minaya, Allard Baird, uh, Adam Gutridge, and Jared Banner, so... It's looking like a new era in, in, in the Mets front office because he Steve Cohen wants to put in his guys. And I mean, especially with with uh, new president of baseball operations, Sandy Alderson, who's the former GM of the Mets coming in. I would assume that he wants to have his own guys anyway, but this, we should have seen this coming. Like Brody Van Wagenen spent his entire time as the GM of the Mets, basically signing his his former clients from from his agency uh, cleaning out their farm system, trading for old guys without without much left in the tank, and basically decimating the the farm system, decimating the entire organization. <laughs> so it was a like they, he did a bad thing, and I think that Steve Cohen did the absolute right thing, getting rid of all of these old guard guys and and changing everything up for the better. A hundred percent. When you transition like this, it, it's not just a new owner who's going to be making his profits. It's also about a new culture. You want to leave all of these old relics from the past behind. And that includes GM and everybody else in the front office. I think it was 100% the right decision because any any old officers to be who to, to still have influence on this new Mets team will only be a negative and detract from their the success that they're looking for. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, look, Steve Cohen had his introductory press conference today uh, with Sandy Alderson, who, and in the in this press conference we did learn a lot. So one of the things that I praised last week on the show was that Steve Cohen created a Twitter and basically has been interacting with fans the entire time that that he knew that he was going to be the owner, and now he is the owner, and he still said in this press conference, "I've enjoyed talking with fans, and I'm going to keep talking with fans even when we're doing bad." That's something that we've never seen before. Anywhere. There are no owners that are that accessible. It's crazy. I, I, I mean, I just kind of want to run through some of the stuff that, that we learned during this press conference today. I mean, it's a press conference, so you're not going to learn very much. They're not going to tip their cards or anything like that. 
but I just kind of want to run through some of the quotes that he had. Steve Cohen obviously said, Mets fans have high expectations and I want to exceed them. Uh, I don't I don't just want to get into the playoffs. I want to win a championship. Uh, he said his wife, who has also been active on Twitter and talking with fans, will be running the, the Mets Foundation and contributing a lot to uh, charities across the, the tri-state area, which is fantastic. That's something that the Mets have been lacking in a lot. And, you know, one of the big things that teams can do to... to you know, create some goodwill is to is to go out into the community and try to try to relate to them and help them out. There's a bunch of other stuff. Steve Cohen also said, "I'm not in this to be, be mediocre. That's not my thing. This guy is somebody who's torn his way through the hedge fund industry. He's worth 14.8 billion dollars. He doesn't like to lose. So, I I thought that this was really good." Because he was very open, very honest, and very forthcoming about what his expectations are and what he wants to do with this team. He's a lifelong fan. He wants to see them win. And he he threw down the gauntlet. He said, I expect to win a World Series within three to five years. It's a nice goal, for sure. It's definitely a good goal, but it's he threw down the gauntlet. Like, we're going to hold them. If, if you know anything about Mets fans, you know that we are a very, very vocal bunch. We they, this These last owners... Uh, somebody said, actually, Steve Cohen said more in this press conference in 40 minutes than, than Fred and Jeff Wilpon said in 40 years of ownership. So, they, we, like, he doesn't, he knows what, what he's up against. Mets fans are very vocal, but I think that he knows what he wants to do with this team, and I'm very excited to see. That's basically the big the big takeaways from this press conference. There is one more thing that I want to highlight. Uh, when they were talking to to Sandy Alderson, um, they made reference to a old interview that Scott Boris, MLB agent extraordinaire, had uh, with the Mets. So one of the one of the, Scott Boris's big traditions was to bash the Mets at the winter meetings every year. And there was a year where he said that the Mets are shopping in the in the uh, discount grocery aisle. And so Mike Puma of, I believe, the New York Post asked uh, asked Sandy Alderson about what aisle he's going to be shopping in. And Sandy Alderson's reply was, you know, we're, we're going to get some meat and potatoes, but we're also going to be going to be shopping in the in the uh, in the gourmet section as well. So <laughs> that that was something that we all like to hear is that. You know, he, he's kind of poking fun at himself in the, in, the, in the past regime and saying, he also said that first I have to find where the, where the gourmet section is because when he was working for the Mets beforehand, they didn't really shell out money for players. So this is a new, new experience for him and I'm very excited to see. Those were the big takeaways from the press conference today. It remains to be seen what's going to happen. They did talk about the MLB free agency definitely being a slow process this season because teams have lost all this revenue and they're not really willing to shell out the big contracts. As as the time goes on, I'm sure that we will hear a lot more about the Mets' plans, especially hiring a GM, which is Sandy Alderson's next move. He said he had his first interview with a GM on Saturday, a potential GM on Saturday, and I he's going to hire his guy. The whole reason that, that Sandy Alderson is there to, is to, to be the baseball guy is because he knows how the industry works and he knows what he wants to see. Moving on, some other big news that happened this week. Uh, the Red Sox are bringing back Alex Cora as their manager. This is after he was suspended for a year uh, for cheating in the Astros scandal. Uh, he was a big part of that as, I believe, a bench coach. So this isn't a surprising move to me. Me too. This is a very surprising move to me because 
the Red Sox got caught up in a cheating scandal themselves. And now they're going out and hiring somebody whose name bears the very essence of cheating. But I will say that Alex Cora came out today and said the following, that he deserved the suspension that he got. Yeah, and, and I think that that's, that's something that we haven't seen from a lot of the Astros, you know, people associated with the Astros. Exactly. That, that's, that, here's why that's significant, is exactly what you just said. This is the very first mention of accepting blame or understanding that something wrong was done in the sport by anybody wrapped up in that scandal. The coaches, players, everybody who was involved. And I appreciate that from Alex Cora. I can appreciate that, and I wish i seen more of it. But his relationship with the Red Sox now that they're hiring him is still pretty shocking to me. Definitely. And and look, remorse is a powerful thing. If if he is genuinely remorseful, that's one thing. And and I think that the Red Sox had a rough season this past season. They were under Rod Renneke, correct? They weren't really performing as well as they should. That being said, they did trade away uh, Mookie Betts in the offseason. But, you know, they still have Xander Bogarts and Jackie Bradley and, and a few really good pieces and it's just they weren't performing to to the standards that they've set for themselves so i i think that alex cora will bring back some level of of energy rob renicky an older guy alex cora is still relatively young so i think he'll bring back some level of energy and under alex cora they went pretty far so we can't we can't fa- they won a world series did they not they did win a world series they won it in 2018 2018 they it was under alex cora though I'm pretty sure. So under Alex Cora, they won a World Series. We have to, we have to at least give him respect on that. And I think that he'll bring back some of that, some of that World Series swagger. I do. We'll uh, see. There, there will definitely be a large microscope, a magnifying glass on the Red Sox. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. This is a crazy story that also came out this week. Uh, Tony La Russa, who MLB Hall of Famer, as, as decorated as any any former player. It, it came out that, so he was just recently rehired by the White Sox. He used to be a coach there as well, but now they rehired him. To, much to the chagrin of a lot of people, he's a very old school baseball guy. Not big on the bat flips, not big on a lot of that. And there, and people are worrying about how his relationship with uh, Tim Anderson, who's a very flamboyant uh, guy, is going to go. But this came out earlier this week that Tony Arusa was charged with a DUI in February. And so it, it begs the question... The White Sox knew about this, right? And that's they the report. They must have known. There were already people saying that this was a bad move, considering that he's very old school. He's not going to believe in the analytics. Thinks that baseball nerds, quote unquote, are ruining the game. This was already panned by a lot of people. And now this comes out like, what is Jerry Reinsdorf thinking? No explanation. I mean, I heard that the video and transcript of the arrest was <laughs> pretty funny. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. So in the in the transcript of his arrest, as he was getting put into the cop car, he said that I'm a baseball person Hall of Famer. That That's just, <laughs> come on. That's, that's the equivalent of saying, do you know who I am? Like, it's not going to get you anywhere. <laughs> It's honestly just going to make people look down upon you is the fact that you're you're throwing around your privilege as a as a former MLB player to, and for, and and World Series champion. He was talking about looking at his ring too. Come on. That do better. Seriously. And and they had to know about this. He had to say something. They wouldn't just say uh oh you're hired. Wait. You had you had a uh a DUI arrest? No way. Teams do their due diligence most of the time. And it surprises me that this is where we're we're at right now. 100%. I 
I, I really, I can't believe that this is where it's come for the White Sox. It, it, it's crazy. It's really, really crazy. So moving on, more MLB news. Uh, the Rookie of the Year votes came out, uh, I believe, yesterday. Kyle Lewis of the Seattle Mariners won the AL Rookie of the Year. Devin Williams of the Milwaukee Brewers won NL Rookie of the Year. No surprises there. Both had fantastic seasons. Devin Williams was lights out. I believe he pitched to a 0.68 ERA in 27 innings. Fantastic. Another big piece of that Brewers bullpen. They already had Josh Hader. Now they have another lightning arm in there. Uh, Kyle Lewis is a good outfielder. Uh, Hit pretty well in in the short time that we had this season. And both well-deserved. I believe that we hear about... We definitely hear about another award tonight. I believe it's the Cy Youngs. So we will know about that uh, around 8 o'clock. Moving on. Trade rumors. You're going to get a lot of that around this time of year. We got rumblings about Francisco Lindor is on the trading block. Rumor is that the Indians don't want to don't want to pay him as much as he's worth. Again, because of lost revenues, etc. He's a great player. There have been rumblings about him going to the Mets. They feel that the Mets have a lot of major league talent that they have in surplus that they can trade away for Francisco Lindor. That's including J.D. Davis, Dom Smith, maybe even Pete Alonso, which is a crazy idea, but they have Dom Smith as well. So it's one of those two that would go in the deal. Uh, Brandon Nimmo has also been thrown out there because the Mets are expected to sign a center fielder this offseason. He's an extra piece. So these things are likely. It's also likely that they'd need to trade away maybe a Med Rosario, who's their, who's their shortstop because Andres Jimenez came up this year and produced. So they feel that Andres, uh, they, they feel that a Med Rosario is expendable. So there's also been rumors connecting Lindor to a, a number of other teams. This is just the rumblings I've heard. Uh, it's the same thing with Arenado. He's young, talented. Rockies don't want to pay him. Looking to get some value out of him before he hits free agency. Similar to a Mookie Betts situation that that the that the Red Sox had last year. And yeah, so these are things that we have to watch throughout the offseason. These guys that are probably on the trading block because they're going to command big money after this season and expect a long-term deal. Francisco Lindor is also expected to make $20 million in arbitration this year. So... They, they don't want to pay that kind of money, especially with the lost revenue. So the Mets are a big spot for a lot of these a lot of these guys where, where people are looking to dump salaries. The Mets could be a huge landing spot this offseason. I mean, with this new ownership that we're talking about, clearing house, the Mets are a real wild card in terms of making deals, trades, and uh, acquisitions well, this offseason. I was talking about this actually earlier uh, earlier this week. So in the Mets case, they are the only they are the only true buyer out there right now really there's there's teams out there that that don't have like because of this situation every team is coming in with lost revenues there's no team that made money this past season the Mets however are coming in having not lost these revenues because they're getting this influx of capital from a guy who has this money who is just putting it in there rather than having letting it ride on the team over the past year where they lost money so, if anything, coming out of this deal, the Wilpons were losing money. They did make $2.4 billion on the sale, but they lost money the past season. So, that's why they are the big buyer in this market, is because they have the money that other teams just frankly don't right now. Because they had this full season of not losing revenue. So, 
That's that's a big reason why the Mets are going to look like a big landing spot this offseason is simply because of the money and other teams lost revenues. So you're going to see a lot of a lot of free agents and a lot of trade targets connected to the Mets. Which is a, a dream situation for me. <laughs> it's there's definitely going to be a lot of talk surrounding the Mets this offseason, you know, but I'm sure Mets fans like yourself are hoping to see some action. I'm definitely hoping to see some action. I'm definitely hoping to see, you know, they're saying that the hot stove is going to be cold. I want to, I want to see some, some, some lukewarm stuff going on. I want to see, I want to see some sparks, you know, but yeah, we'll see what happens with that. I, I don't expect to hear much over the next couple of months. I think that as we get closer to spring training, we're going to hear more, especially with the vaccine news that we just got yesterday, which is fantastic, which makes it more and more likely that fans are going to be in the stands next season, which is great news for all sports leagues. But we, we still have time until then, and I think that, especially now with the winter meetings being canceled, uh, it's, it remains unlikely that we're going to get very much movement with free agents until, we're, until we're, we're getting into the early season months, you know? So, we'll see about that stuff. Moving on, there's been a big shuffling of all the minor league teams. This is, a, this is terrible news, by the way. I, I just want to put that out there. The plans by the MLB to, to cut a bunch of minor league teams is really bad. And it, it, it does limit the ability for a lot of teams to feel like it, it, just, it just is bad for baseball. It's bad for teams to, to, to develop prospects. And it's just bad for the U.S. in general. There are all these like little towns that have minor league teams that love them. I mean, I'm wearing an independent league hat right now. That's that's not the same thing. But a place like Lancaster, Pennsylvania, this is one of our. This is our only professional team here. Like the only the only things that we have are our minor league teams. We have the Hershey Bears uh, a little bit away. You have the uh, you have an e- ESHL team up in Reading. But other than that, that's the professional teams that we have. It's either the Eagles or the Ravens or the Phillies or or the the Orioles. There's not much here, but the Barnstormers are a big thing here. So it's the same thing with minor league teams. It's that people love these teams, and now they're just getting taken away, which is it's bad. And and I think the most egregious example of this, a a statement came out from the Staten Island Yankees about basically being cut off from the Yankees organization with the Yankees not even telling them the, the Staten Island Yankees only learned about this through a social media post. That is egregious. Yeah. You hate to see what's happening in the developmental leagues in MLB. Um, this has been a concern for a little while now. I remember hearing people like Bernie Sanders talk about the MLB when he was running for president and what they were, what they were doing then was wrong. It's this, this move has, nothing to do with covid either yeah this is is, they're using covid as an excuse because this is what they wanted the whole time they've wanted this 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 you know consolidation of the minor leagues which is terrible yeah i just wanted to call out some people who are reporting on these stories mlb in particular themselves additionally because they're talking about covid as a as a reason that they're going to be reshuffling minor league teams because people aren't showing up to minor league ball games. It's that, but it's not the case. I think that if anything, it definitely gave them more of an incentive to complete this process. Um, 100%. And it, it, like you said, it just sucks. It just sucks. But the Yankees have to at least talk to like Staten Island and Trenton before they say, Oh, we're not going to have you anymore. That's, that's egregious. And I, I, I hope to God 
that other teams are are a lot better with the communication than this. Because I know, at least for the Mets, uh, Columbia Fireflies, which is one of their low AS affiliates, already found new partners for that. So with the reshuffling that's going on, teams are 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 going into the independent leagues, are going back. Uh, I know that Columbia got a new affiliate. Uh, for the Yankees, they are working with the Hudson Valley Renegades, who were independent league, but are now coming into minor league baseball. So there's a big reshuffling going on, and a lot of it doesn't really make sense. And a lot of people uh, who would have been on minor league teams are now going to be shut out. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's just, it's really crazy. So I, I hate this. I really think that it was it was a bad look for the Yankees. I, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna talk trash about the Yankees that much, but it was a bad look to, to not have that communication. Because Staten Island, I know especially for New Yorkers, Staten Island the Staten Island Yankees are a draw. That's that and there's talk that the Mets are keeping the Mets are keeping Brooklyn but are making it into into their double A and making Binghamton into their single A. Which is great. Cause you see more more likely prospects and things like that. Uh, coming through Double A in Brooklyn, which is right near it, and I know that that Mets fans love going to to Brooklyn Dodgers game or not Brooklyn Dodgers, uh, Brooklyn Brooklyn Cyclones games. So I, I I don't I still don't get the Staten Island thing. I don't. It's uh, it's just business. I I really don't understand it either. There are many many reasons why these sort of things um, take place, and we'll just have to wait and see what happens. It's not final yet, but it's looking like it's getting close. Definitely. Uh, moving on, uh, real quick, an article came out in The Athletic this week uh, by Eno Saris talking about how foreign substances on pitchers' hands are commonplace in the league. Doesn't surprise me, but it was also making the case for legalizing it, which I don't know how to feel. Because, like, even looking back, you know, there was a Michael Pineda incident a few years ago. It happens kind of often where, where pitchers are found to have something either on the brim of their cap or, in Michael Pineda's case, on his neck, and they get thrown out of the game. But this this article was saying how a lot of these people use it. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, sure, there's widespread use of foreign substances by pitchers, and I've heard many interviews where even hitters say that they would rather the pitcher be able to use a foreign substance like pine tar so they can get a better grip on the ball so that they're not as wild and end up hitting them. Which makes sense to me. On the flip side of that argument is that when you are able to have this extra control over the ball, you're able to make it move in ways that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to. I mean, that's the basis for the rule in the first place. And I don't think that everybody does it is reason enough to change the rule. I would agree with you. I, I don't that's, think that it's reason enough to change the rule. That's what they that's what they used to say during the steroid era. You know, just, oh, everybody's doing it. That they should. It's okay to do it. Then that doesn't mean that it's not cheating. Exactly. It doesn't mean that it's you're not cheating or uh, affecting the integrity of the game. I don't understand that argument at all. Neither do I. I. I think that I think that saying everybody else is doing it, so why don't I? Is is the same same argument as everybody else is jumping off the Empire State Building? Why don't you? It's the same thing that we've been taught since we were kids, right? Like like just because everybody else is doing something that is not is frowned upon or illegal doesn't mean that you should be doing it too you shouldn't just jump on the train just because everyone else is doing it you know there's there's this there's this forgotten type of of character trait called integrity and (laughs) 
and it feels like in this in this argument integrity just goes out the window right right i mean i can see why you would say that definitely it's just it's crazy this was i i, I guess it, it i understand why he's making the case but it seems a little bit outlandish to me for him to be like oh this is <laughs> we, we should just legalize it because everyone's doing it maybe we it's, should crack down on it because it's illegal it's a very complicated issue as well because like i mentioned earlier there are hitters in the league that say fine let pitchers use foreign substances because i'd rather them have more control over the ball which is a legitimate argument and it's a, honestly an argument for for legalizing the use of foreign substances but then we have to talk about the different substances that people use and what's okay and what's not okay. And it turns into a very complicated subject. Definitely. So I want to pivot real quick. We were just joined by NFL insider Ian Rappaport. Mr. Rappaport, thank you so much for coming on. What's going on, man? How are you? How are both of you guys? You doing good? Doing great. Yeah, I, thanks for Sorry, Steve. Look, you got your Tua jersey already. I like it. <laughs> I'm all green. Tua, Tua is the truth. I'm, I'm repping Daniel Jones over here, so I, I, I'm not quite. I'm not quite so happy right now. But we'll see how things are going. Um, I mean, the team at least looks good. He is. Uh, I think he's going to be as good as you as they hope. Um, but we will see. Yeah. So. Let's let's just jump right into these questions here because I know that you are a very busy man. I don't want to take up too much of your time. So, uh, one of the first questions that I have for you is: so we've seen positive COVID tests all over the league. Is there something that the NFL is doing to ensure the long term health of the league? Is there any idea of maybe doing the compliance officers like the MLB did? I know that it didn't really work out in the end after Justin Turner's positive case, but. Has there been something like that considered just to just to try and mitigate some of these problems? Because there are positive tests coming out coming out everywhere. Yeah, I mean their their viewpoint is is basically there's going to be positive tests. I mean it's a pandemic; it's rising all around the country. It is as as much precaution as everyone can take. It is going to happen. I mean, you, and you don't know if it's an interaction from the grocery store, from your you know childcare person in your house could be literally anyone positive cases are going to happen what the nfl um what the nfl focuses on is basically limiting the spread so so much um so much of what they are trying to do is if one person has it make sure that it doesn't spread to the rest of the team so that what they've enacted and it really came like mid-season is all right this player is positive let's hope that he didn't get everyone else infected because they've been wearing masks in the building they've been keeping socially distant however the players that come up as a high risk close contact they are now quarantined they go somewhere else they go in their home they isolate for five days they cannot come back to the building for five days that has allowed for the um that has allowed for the stop of the spread of it basically even though it's made teams you know, be in circumstances that makes it make it a lot difficult, more difficult to prepare for games like Matthew Stafford not practicing all week. Um, that is that is just the reality right now. Uh, and it's been a great way to keep this train rolling, even amid a very challenging pandemic. Definitely. And and I like I just am wondering if there's something more. Do you think that this is this is sufficient? I, I think it's the best they can do. 
Fair you enough. know, because what you can't do is you can't put everyone in a bubble. There's too many people. And if you did put people in a bubble, let's say someone snuck in, it's a hundred people or whatever per team. Someone snuck in. Well then if you're in a bubble and someone's positive, then everybody gets infected. So a bubble is not something that's feasible. I think this is the best way to do it is to rely on daily testing, which they've done, make sure everyone is responsible as possible and limit the spread rather than just think that you're going to eliminate the whole thing. Okay. Steve. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, but just continuing with the topic of COVID uh, Cam Newton's return from the COVID-19 list. People have been saying that there's been a kind of a dip in his performance. He threw five interceptions in his first two games back. And we've all heard about these COVID long haulers uh, who caught the virus, still can't shake symptoms. Yeah. Testing negative. And some people are speculating that Cam Newton's so-called dip in performance could be attributed to the long-term effects that aren't totally understood yet. So are these possible long-term effects from the virus something that players are concerned about? And is players' quality of play after being sick with the virus something that decision makers in the NFL are concerned about as well? Or is this all just wild speculation? Well, it is wild speculation. And the short answer is I don't know because it's impossible. And I'm not sure Cam knows because it's impossible to get inside his body and say, uh, all right, you know, now after COVID, um, you are not as good as you were, right? The only thing that, well, there's two priorities for the NFL. One is to make sure he's healthy and testing negative again. That is true. He's healthy. He's testing negative again. He says he feels okay. After that, it's really just about performance. And, you know, there's plenty of situations in the NFL where you have a person, player, who's had an injury, sprained ankle, torn ACL, torn Achilles, whatever it is. Um, and when they come back in the field, they're not the same. It, it just, it happens. And you feel bad. You wish it didn't happen, but you can only judge a player based on the performance they have on the field. And the Patriots won last night on Monday. Uh, it was a nice win, I guess, over a winless team. Cam certainly looked better. Um, maybe that puts things at ease a little bit. But the only thing they could do if they were going to make it a quarterback change is just judge him from what he looks like on the field. And I think you can clearly see it hasn't been as good as it was previously. But also remember, I mean, these were some of the big worries when he was in Carolina was how long will he hold up during the season? And we still have some of those questions. Definitely. And and it's it's definitely a good thing to, to pay attention to is that, you know, we he's been back from, from coronavirus for a few weeks and, you know, things are still trying to get get back going. So uh, moving on, this is this is something that I don't want to go too far into. I just want to see what your thoughts are. So as far as the Washington football team, there's been a lot of controversy around them over the past four or five years, uh, especially this this offseason with uh, the sexual harassment claims against against uh, some of the staffers and even Dan Snyder himself. Uh, do you foresee maybe even a, a Donald Sterling situation happening where the league forces him to maybe even consider selling because of this controversy? Or do you think that that's not on the horizon? It was it was definitely something that those of us who were involved in the reporting of it, and I was, um, definitely something we wondered. Like, at what point does the league step in and say, you know, you need to make a change? At what point does the league say you can't own the team anymore? And what it sounds like it would take 
where Donald Sterling likes circumstances, you know, egregious, horrendous behavior, something where it was Dan Snyder himself doing the behavior. And that was, was, you know, obviously different from, I mean, you know, he had, they have a bad work environment. Hopefully that is getting better. I think they've hired some good people, including Jason Wright, the president to, to fix that. They just hired a new HR person, uh, chief people officer, actually just hired this person yesterday. Um, so I think they're doing the right things as far as rebuilding their organization and putting them in a great place. But it's different if it's coming from just the owner himself, if he's the one with the behavior. And that was where it was different from Jerry Richardson with the you know Carolina Panthers. He wasn't forced to sell. I think he would have sold anyway, and he decided just to do it right now. But if you know Dan Snyder was facing no situation where it was his own behavior put them in the crosshairs, then it might be a little bit of a different story for Washington. I just want to touch on a few more points. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, to Karis McKinley was uh, McKinney, McKinley. Sorry, was put on waivers earlier this week. Have you seen? Have you heard any rumblings about potential landing spots or any any idea of who might claim him off waivers if he does? Yeah, I mean, he he's really talented. Yes. Really, really talented. I think there's a lot of questions about his makeup, what kind of person he's going to be in the locker room. Talent. You know, probably shouldn't have been the first rounder, but he's got talent. I mean, you know, he's, I think, 27 sacks in his career. Like, he's got talent. So you're probably talking about, you know, a team that's a contender because, you know, he's got one happier left in his contract. It's not going to be someone who's not a contender. And that's what he wanted so, as well anyway. So, And that's what he wanted anyway. And I think he was fr- obviously frustrated he didn't get traded. You know, I think Seattle would be uh, – probably a good bet to claim him i know they're interested in a potential trade for him i just don't know if he gets that far definitely if they're a good team he'd have to go you have to be like josh gordon going all the way down um you know to the 20s so i think he'll get claimed probably i just don't know if he makes it to seattle fair enough totally two more things and then we'll let you let you go golden tate so there was a lot of controversy surrounding golden tate last week uh, with his wi- how his wife reacted to the Giants play this season and I believe him himself as well so which led to him that led to him being left home when the Giants went to go play Washington this week uh, coach judge said he'll be back at practice and probably be active for the game next week have you heard that patients might be wearing thin or that they're even thinking about cutting him uh yeah I think patience is wearing thin and I think if his if his behavior if his attitude if his performance it's a performance business if his performance does not improve, yeah, uh, I think they they could end up cutting him. And I mean, he is a he's an older player. He's a veteran. You know, he's making a lot of money and has not performed great. Those guys can often be real big time issues in the locker room. If you're used to being a rock star and then you're not, and your performance doesn't warrant it, then you can become a problem. And they don't want to make sure it's not the case with Golden Tate. So I think if his performance doesn't improve, certainly could look at potentially cutting him. What I was told was his response in practice last week to being on the scout team, his response to being told you're not going on the trip was really positive. So you hope that he has gotten the message. Obviously, if someone was going to trade for him, they would have done it. Clearly, that was not, it was not worth it to anyone else. That probably goes a long way to telling him his value. And you hope that message got through as well. So maybe... Maybe it worked, and maybe he'll be a, a contributing member of the team going forward. 
maybe. I mean, the 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 Giants at two and seven need all the help that they can get. Even even with the fact that they did win this past week, they're still you know struggling to put a lot of things together. Yeah. However, that being said, they ha- their coaching staff is doing the right things. I I want to just put that out there. I I know that a lot of Giants fans, including me, have seen some very positive steps with this new coaching staff under Joe Judge, Jason Garrett, Patrick Graham, especially Patrick Graham. What do you see? What do you do you see anything specific that you that excites you about this team, that this coaching staff that you think is a is a positive for them going forward? Yeah, I mean, I I also think they're good. I mean, and you know, their record is bad obviously and they've you know, Daniel Jones said a couple of turnovers where you just scratch your head. You just can't believe it. Um, they play really hard. And if you're a team, it's kind of like watching Steve's Dolphins. You know, if you're a team that plays hard, that accomplishes so much. It's, it's like life. If you work hard, I mean, that's like 90% of it, right? So they know how to play. They work hard. They're in the right place. They do the right things. They're tough and physical. Um, they look better. I mean, I, I know a ton of Giants fans, as you can imagine. And when they would ask me, I'm like, just watch how they play. Like, they may not win a lot of games. They could use some more talent. They got the best running back is obviously not on the field. Like, they will make you happy with the way they play. And I think Giants fans should be happy with what they've seen. Um, it looks a little like, to me, what the Dolphins looked like last year, where you can see how if they had better players – this would turn into wins, but they just, they're just not good enough. Um, I think the future is going to be really, really, really bright for the Giants. I do think they hired the right guy. Definitely. And, and uh, for a long time, they really wanted a guy off of Belichick's coaching tree. That was like a known thing because, yeah, because they have that legacy, because they have that legacy with him and all of that. And, you know, a lot of us were like, Joe Judge, that seems a little weird. He's a special teams coach, but it is obviously. I remember, hey, Mississippi State was going to hire him. Yes. Yeah. They were all excited. They were all ready. The whole thing was done, and then the Giants swooped in. Before we talked about uh, before before they hired Mike Leach, who we actually talked about last week, um, right? It's Mike Leach now. Yeah. Anyway, one more question before you go. Um, this is not football related. So, did you watch the Steve Cohen press conference earlier today? Uh, I did not. I was playing golf actually. Uh, a rare golf day in the middle of football season. Uh, Everybody seems unbelievably impressed. Um, I heard he was awesome. I'm not used to watching Mets press conferences and thinking that they're awesome. <laughs> That's is, true. I mean, one is, of the things that everybody... Not, yeah, not something that has happened in my lifetime, honestly. Um, Same with me. So <laughs> I am really looking forward to tonight to just being like, you know what? Let me feel good about myself. Let me watch the Mets start their process of actually being good and respectable. And I will look forward to that. I mean, a lot of people are saying that Steve Cohen said more in 40 minutes than, than we've heard as Mets fans in 40 years. So I'm probably right. Either way, Ian Rappaport, thank you so much for coming on. This was fantastic. I really appreciate your time and hope to see you again soon. All right. Sounds good. Really enjoyed it. You guys, good luck with everything. Keep killing it. Um, and yeah, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. man. Thank Take you, care. Ian. You stay healthy. You too. So Ian Rappaport, everyone, that was awesome. That was pretty great. The, the insight that he gives is really just 
otherworldly. He has so much knowledge about the sport and has so much to say and has so many contacts within the teams that he knows everything. It's really so cool. Anyway, once again, thank you so much, Ian Rappaport, for coming on. Uh, if you do listen to this afterwards, this will be posted everywhere. I'm shaking still, <laughs> but that was really cool. I, I'm so happy that we got to do that, and I'm glad that he was able to join in. Now we're going to shift gears back. Now that now that Ian had to go, he, he does have prior engagements. He, he, was very, he was nice enough to make the time to come and talk to us. We were talking about uh, foreign substances in, in the major leagues. There is a, a suit, like a lawsuit going on right now in California between a former employee of the Angels and the Angels and the MLB. So basically what, what, this, what this employee was fired for was, was giving foreign substances to visiting players before they went out to games. So he was a visiting cl- clubhouse attendant and he would give foreign substances to pitchers before they came out to play the angels, which is a little weird considering that he was an angels employee. So I'm not sure if this was some sort of organized tactic by the angels themselves to set up opposing pitchers in order to get them thrown out of the game. It's very unclear with this report, what this individual's motivations were to give opposing pitchers illegal substances, but something is uh, suspicious here. Definitely. Definitely is. And I, I don't want to like go off and say that this is, this is, this should be thrown out. I know that the angels want it thrown out because he's suing the team for wrongful termination, but they're like, well, we terminated him for a real reason. I can't imagine that the angels were involved in any sort of way. Cause I can't remember a, a time this past season or even before when a pitcher going up against the angels got thrown out for using an illegal substance. I there's, there must be something else going on behind the scenes scenes between this individual and um, the angels organization. Definitely. Definitely. So I wouldn't put too much clout on this report. I, I, I mean, I could see them getting it thrown out because of the wrongful termination, as they say. But other than that, like it, this is a weird lawsuit because he's suing them rather for wrongful termination. It has nothing to do with the actual pine tar thing. It has more to do with the fact that he was fired for it. So it, it, it's, it's, they, they're trying to adhere to the rules, which I totally get and I totally support. But when, when we're, when we're getting an article from, from N. Osiris of the athletic, that 99.9% of pitchers are using pine tar anyway, or foreign substances in general, this is ridiculous, Right. Why, why victimize this one clubhouse guy who was giving it out when I'm sure hundreds of other clubhouse guys around the league are doing it too? Anyway, that was a little bit of a, uh, of a sidebar. This, this was a cool story that came out this week. In what might be a parting gift to Cubs fans, John Lester went out and spent $4,000 on beer for Cubs fans. Or I think it might have been more than that. I think it might have been like $47,000 or something crazy. It, he spent a whole lot of money basically just getting beer to all these Cubs fans out at bars and stuff in Chicago. And that's just cool. That's just really cool of him is that, you know, even he doesn't know where he's going to be next season. I have a feeling he's going to go back to the Cubs anyway. They, they kind of want a victory lap with him. I mean, he won a World Series there anyway. There's also talk of him going back to the Red Sox. But this is a cool kind of thank you to the Cubs fans to, to just go out and, and, and pay, for, pay for their drinks and stuff all over town. Yeah, good guy. I love that interaction between players and uh, 
and fans, you know, when, when they can come together. And, and in this in this example, be so generous with fans. And uh, you love to hear stories like that. I mean, he like the Chicago fans gave everything to him. I mean, they won a World Series. They won a World Series together. Like he he loves Chicago. Chicago loves him. I don't blame them for for having that. You know, for him wanting to give back to these fans. I don't. I think that it's a a good a goodwill gesture thing that they're doing, and I love it. I do. These these stories that come out all the time about players giving back to their communities, this is a little bit more of a adult way to give back to the community, but still a cool way. Like it, it's still a cool thing, like going to a bar and and ordering a beer and being like, oh hey, that guy covered it. Look over, it's John Lester. That's cool. <laughs> like if I if I was in that situation, I'd be like losing it. I would be like speechless. So really cool of him. Hopefully he he gets a landing spot this year, maybe a major league deal. We don't know. He didn't have such a great season, but hopefully he does find a landing spot either with the Cubs, Red Sox, maybe somewhere else. Uh, moving on, this last one, kind of going back to the Alex Cora thing and the Astros scandal. The former Astros general manager Jeff Lunho, uh, Luno files a, filed a lawsuit against the Astros for breach of contract, quote unquote, and he's seeking twenty two million dollars in damages. Huh? This is more turmoil coming out of the Astros organization. The the behind the scenes situation in Houston is must be terrible. I I don't know what this breach of contract he's citing is specifically, but it could easily have something to do with the scandal. Definitely, it, it it's really crazy because. It, it does have something to do with the scandal because he, he's saying that he was fired and they breached the contract by firing him and he's owed all of the money that he would have been owed anyway if they kept the contract on. But the thing is, they fired him because he had knowledge of the Astro scandal, didn't do anything, and contributed to it. So the fact that he thinks that he's entitled to all of this money, even though he was the one that got all of this stuff put together, you know, that did all of this is really, or at least contributed to it. I know that Alex Cora, AJ Hinch, all of those had a lot of say in that. Also, I believe AJ Hinch was hired this season, right? What By, by the Tigers or the, or the, yeah, by the Tigers, I believe, which is crazy. I don't even want to touch on that because I don't understand how AJ Hinch was, was hired again. And Carlos Beltran is out of a job. I don't want to talk about that. It's a rabbit hole. It is a rabbit hole. But I, I don't think that Jeff Leno has a case. It, it, he knew about the scandal, didn't do anything, and now expects that the, the Astros are going to pay him. Get out of here. Just, just stop. Some things I just want to touch on NFL-wise, Ben Roethlisberger and, the, and a lot of people on the Pittsburgh Steelers are on the COVID-19 list. Four players. Four players from the Steelers are on the COVID-19 list, which is really not good. I mean, we just talked about this with, with Mr. Rappaport earlier. The, the NFL has taken this test and trace method, which basically isolates clusters and makes sure that, that the wider team doesn't end up with it. This is, this is a, a big cluster. I mean, it's, it's their, their big guy. It's their, their longtime quarterback who is now on the COVID list and might not even play next week. And plus, he, he messed up both of his knees in the game last week. Yeah, as of today, it doesn't look like... Ben Roethlisberger is going to play. We have to wait three days, wait for another test to come back to see what's going to happen on Sunday. But this is pretty devastating for the 8-0 Steelers now. I mean, losing your 
best player by far than Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, and like you mentioned, the injuries that he received, um, he was able to come right back out after halftime and play, uh, which was great to see. He's a tank, honestly, after watching that. And But it would be pretty, pretty devastating for the Steelers if they had to go to their backup QB. It, it totally would. And, and uh, this Ben Roethlisberger has had a rough couple of years between injuries and everything else. And, you know, the Steelers not being so good the past few years, they're eight. No, now they are eight. No. And it's on, it's, it's on his play and it's on the play of his defense. And yet we're, lo- we're staring down the barrel at him not playing next week, which is really sad. Which is, and they'll probably get handed a loss if he doesn't. I, I don't want to. I don't know who they're playing next week, but they'll probably get handed a loss if they if he doesn't. Moving on, um, Tampa Bay, or as uh, Steve has affectionately called them, Tampa Bay, is crazy. It's weird. They're not. They're not performing. Like another dimension. It, there. it really is because they have the they have the pieces. They have. They have Antonio Brown now, who's coming out of nowhere and and looked pretty good in the game. Uh, they have Rob Gronkowski. They have Mike Evans. They have Leonard Fournette. Like they have they have good pieces, but they're not doing their jobs. Not to mention a good defense. Uh, yeah, good good front too. Yeah, Jason Pierre, Paul Ndamukong Sue. T- Tampa Bay got absolutely dominated by the Saints. They really did on uh, Sunday night on, on national TV. It was pretty embarrassing. If I'm remembering correctly, this was Tom Brady's worst loss, 35-3, to since the year 2003, when he lost 35 to nothing. He just looked terrible. Three interceptions, no touchdowns. I don't know what happened to him. Just uh, the, the magic disappeared. I don't know either. It, it really doesn't look, look too promising for Tom Brady. I mean, he is now, what, 41, 42 years old? So... I think that he needs to sort himself out. I know that it's a new system, but it is Bruce Arians, who's an old school coach, who's who's running a pretty similar system to what he had in New England anyway. So he needs to sort himself out. He has the pieces there. He just needs to produce, and he's not doing that right now. Not this week. Not this week. We'll see we'll what see happens he, going forward. We'll see how he bounces back. So it is 530, which means that our time is up. I want to thank... Ian Rappaport for coming on once again. Uh, Steven Thiel Nussbaum, my co-host as always. And this is Sam Chumsky signing off. This has been Sports with Sam and Steve and WF on WFNM 89.1 Lancaster.